Welcome back to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. Hi, I'm Jacob. I'm a Christian. <laughs> Very good. Um, I, I realized... It just... is good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I realized just before Jacob why I was so tired today. Um, and it's because I only had one coffee in the whole day. and I, I only am... have one coffee most days. Yeah, but I, I'm a caffeine addicted um, person. And, you know, one is is clearly enough to make me like be able to stumble through the day but also be able to want to sleep right now yeah okay right fair enough it is like 7 30 in the evening as we record this for yeah. the listeners benefit so it's past your miles it's, it's past my bedtime yeah and you, you know why it's past my bedtime jacob is because i have the free will to choose my own bedtime i was gonna uh, i was gonna ask you whether you wanted to be here whether you chose to be here <laughs> Go ahead. You, you, you can ask it. No, it's okay. No, you, okay. You, you've I've, done it. Now. I ruined it yeah. now. I ruined it now. Um, but yes, we're talking about free will today, Jacob. We, we're talking about free will. Does it exist, Jamal? No. There we go. Podcast over. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Music by Kevin McLeod. You can email. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, no. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't believe it exists, but I think you've got an article that uh, goes into a bit more detail than that. Yes, there's an article here in front of us uh, called The Clockwork Clockwork Universe is Free Will an Illusion. Uh, It's a Guardian long read from last year, I think, year before. Um, Yeah, going through the the deterministic argument, which, Jamal, you seem to hold, that free will is an illusion. Everything that we've done, everything that we do is determined by a whole bazillion myriad factors of stuff that's gone before us and we think that we're making a choice to eat the banana off the table but actually we were always going to eat the banana off the table and not the apple yeah i um so i mean no is my short answer but i i, I think maybe what i hold stronger than we're the discovering determin- things you've got in common with sam harris this is an interesting <laughs> podcast <laughs> uh, I, th- I think i think the thing that i hold more strongly than uh, like a strong everything is determined is more actually a belief that we don't have free will. Um, so I, I don't think it's a binary. Like I don't necessarily inherently think that not having free will means that like everything you do is entirely predetermined. Um, but I, I definitely don't think we have free will. I, I think the idea that we get but to so choose things. So what's the alternative then? Like as in if we don't have free will, but everything's not already determined. What's what's the halfway house there? We get we get the illusion of choosing things, or yeah, like- the illusion of choosing things, or I guess the um like, tendencies, and you, you, you we get pushed towards things, but we don't inherently like have a full choice over them. But we can kind of maybe make a, you know, we we, we can pull ourselves back from the ledge, but we can't stop ourselves leaning over the ledge, kind of thing. Okay. Um. But yeah, I. I I, I definitely don't believe we have free will. I definitely think that this idea that every, that choices are a thing that we can do and that the world is just, you know, a bunch of individuals making choices is, I think, a little bit simplistic and, you know, maybe based on what we'd want to believe rather than what is real. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't completely buy the entire, like, you know, if you had a supercomputer that could calculate the movement of every atom in the world, you could... Um, you know, you could absolutely predict what happens there. And actually, so maybe a better way of describing the middle ground is actually related to some knowledge that has been gained in the past kind of, you know, decade or two around um, uh, like uh, quantum physics and string theory and stuff, which is that chance plays a massive 
role, right? Like sometimes things happen randomly, like random. Kind of like in the Greek gods rolling dice. Yeah. Sense of uh, the fates. That's yeah. What the, the and Greeks and I, I think yeah. they found at the Large Hadron Collider that, you know, they, that, you know, in amongst atoms, you know, you can't actually predict what's going to happen. Like sometimes it's completely random. Sometimes, you know, things move in directions that, that, that they're not being reacted on and that, that chance exists and randomness exists in a way that leads to roll-on effects, right? But it, on a subatomic level, there is a there is an element of, of chaos. So this is fascinating, right? Because So we're, we're, full disclaimer, well out into waters which I have absolutely no knowledge of, right? Mm. Like I, I know what the Large Hadron Collider is and that it's under a chunk of Europe and they mm. smash things at other things at high intensities and that's literally the limits of my, my knowledge of that. So when, when you're saying those that, that chance element, is that like genuinely random or just our computing skills are not good enough yet to work out whatever patterns and at some point in a hundred years time we could conceivably understand the patterns that are governing all of that stuff? Scientists believe it is genuinely random. Yeah, wow. Um, so, I mean, again, of course, if there are things that we could measure that we can't measure now, how do we even know that we can't measure them yeah, now? Yeah, of course. Right, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but based on everything that we know chaos is an existent force that like you know that things happening randomly at on a subatomic level that they do happen at randomly that there are there is no conceptual even like theoretical way to predict them um and so you know it's not to say that things beyond that at greater levels aren't predictable that me eating a banana off a table is not you know, predictable based on past behaviours and whatever else. But I guess to me... But that's past behaviours, right? Like that's not based on what your grandmother did or what, like it's not foreordained. It's just if we know about enough about Jamal, we can predict what he's going to choose in inverted commas to do. Yeah, which is probably where I land on my kind of soft determinism, uh, as we call it in philosophy, which is this idea that like, you know, I, I think it is 95% likely that I will do a certain action and you and you could predict that based on mm-hmm. previous deterministic things right um and again Buddhism is all up on this Buddhism is you know you know cause and effect is a huge you know um thing you know conditions getting acted upon and mm-hmm. you know, the whole the whole premise of why you think certain things or feel certain ways is you know is based on conditionality but Buddhism holds which is attachment right like that's correct. what that's connected to yeah, yeah. But um, but Buddhism holds that um, that you can understand that and break out of it. It's, it's called which the, is kind of free will raging against the dying of the light, as it were. Yeah, yeah, it's called the law of dependent origination, right? That everything is dependent on something else originating. And you know, this was this was written about way before we had any concepts of this, right? So Buddhism, the OG determinists, right? <laughs> um, about dependent origination. Except like determinists with a caveat that you can get out of it, right? Well, because So this is in the article. So, so sorry, just yeah, to clarify, yeah. it's not a caveat that you can necessarily get out of it. It's a caveat that you can understand it. So you can get to a point where you can but perceive... But then that changes your responses to it. Yes. And yeah, there, there's a subtleness in, you know, that when you are enlightened, you can see the the way that everything is affecting on everyone else. And you can't necessarily stop some of those things being affected upon, but you can stop, I guess, your attachment to those effects or to thinking that you can change those effects. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is your 
conception of free will. I mean, my my understanding, my layman's understanding is that Christianity loves free will and it's a big part of it. But uh, where well, do you land on that? Well, this is an, an excellent it's an excellent question. I'm probably some form of compatibilist, I think. Can you give us a, 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 the 140-character summary of compatibilist? That, um, there is, well, no, not really. It's a, <laughs> that, that there is a, a freedom of choice or, or that, we, that we experience a freedom of choice and that's important and that that matters, um, which like kind of my, my takeaway is that, that free will on, on that reading is more the experience of choice rather than necessarily the actuality of choice. Is that fair? Like yeah. you, you've you've actually formally studied philosophy, so you have me in an, at an advantage here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I it's you know, it's it's a justifiable position, right? I, I I haven't thought too much about it to know whether I agree I've, with I've, it or not. But, but, but yeah. I've stated it well. That's yeah. good. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, well, because it, it's it's really interesting, right? Because there's you know theories about well like how how can you sin if you don't have free will right but um luther's like the the most influential book that he wrote was called the bondage of the will which was entirely this argument that we don't have free will or not truly we just kind of we think that we do and that that sin is actually acting as though we could decide things for ourselves and choose things for ourselves. But when we do that, we're actually, we wind up in service to other things. We just don't realize it. Like, so the, this probably goes back to our worship episode, mm-hmm. actually, a few a few episodes ago, that you're, you're always serving something, to put it that way. You're always in bondage to something. The question is, is that going to be God? Or is that going to be some other thing? So, like, you might think that you're freely making the choice to buy this convertible in your 40s, having just had a divorce. But actually, no, you're going through a midlife crisis and there's all of these cultural, societal, capitalistic forces that are acting on you and affecting that choice and those decisions that you make. And you're doing that to kind of... I I think this is the way that Luther would frame it, that you're actually in bondage to those other things and you think that you're satisfying them in some way by by buying the red convertible because it's going to make your life better and that's going to solve the midlife crisis thing and actually you should be trusting God. Yeah, okay. So it's like it, it's kind of like the time a Christian and a Buddhist walked into a bar and they um they saw a, a big uh, a big kind of fancy a fa- fancy car out the front of it, right? The big, Is it a Jaguar? No, it was, a, it was a red convertible, actually. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but who, yes. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? Um, but yeah, so they, they saw the red convertible at the front of the bar, and they walked in there, and um, and they were like, "Oh, whose car is that?" And they were, you know, they asked the bartender, and the car, the bartender was like, "Oh, well, you know, it's it's Jesus' car," and he points to Jesus, who's at the corner of the bar, and they're like, "Oh, I know where this is going. How, how, how do you know it's Jesus's car?" And he's like, "Oh, didn't you see it? It was a Chrysler." Oh, okay. There we go. That was not going in the direction that um, I I was expecting, yeah. because I I didn't think that Jesus drove a Chrysler. I thought Jesus drove a Honda. Why did you drive a Honda? Because he does not boast of his own accord. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. There you go. Jacob has finally told a joke. We've, we've got there. The second one, I think. Yeah. Um. So all right, here's an interesting question. Um. In this article, this article shout starts, out to Aiden if you're listening for that. By the way, yeah, <laughs> this article starts uh, with a conversation with Galen Strawson, who's a philosopher, and um, they're talking about death threats 
that, mm-hmm. that, um, that Strawson got. Um, and there's one in particular that struck me that I think is an interesting kind of point to this conversation, which is someone's written in a death threat and said, you, you've ruined my life, blah, blah, blah. And in the letter it says, all because of you, you told me I had no control, how I was not responsible for anything I do, how my six-year-old son was not responsible for what he did. And mm. I think there's an interesting point in there, which is that I think it is a very common reaction to an argument against free will to say, well, in that case, you have no responsibility, you know? And I I guess I'm interested to hear your take on that, Jacob, in that, like, you know, in this sense of free will being potentially not true or not something that is, you know, that, that you can't just go out and choose. Yeah. I, I guess the fundamental question is, is choice the only thing that gives us responsibility? That's an excellent question. And, and I, I would say, no, it's not, or, or at least not the only thing that gives us culpability, mm. I guess. Um, so there's a couple of ways to put it. Well, one way would be like this, that you can't be separated from your actions, right? Like, or your character can't be separated from your actions. How you act in the world reflects kind of fundamentally who you are. And so therefore what you do and what you don't do are you know, your responsibility in a sense that they, they define who you are. Um, but, there's, but also the, there, are, there are things about us that we have kind of no control over that we're still responsible for. So, so for instance, if somebody has a, like a, this, is, this is a crude example. So um, if somebody has some kind of uh, a physical disease that affects their balance and coordination and whatever, and they knock a mug off the table and the mug smashes on the floor and breaks into however many pieces like they have still broken that mug Mm. like whether they intended it or not and our legal system has all sorts of interesting ways of dealing with the question of intent actually Mm. but but whether they intended it or not they're still responsible for that mug being broken now it's a whole other question as to to what extent are you going to blame them for that to what extent do they need to fix that and make it right and whatever but they're still responsible for the fact that the mug is broken Is, is that something that god has articulated um what do you mean by God? I, th- I think it's more philosophy than like I can't give you a proof text. Well, yeah, cause, cause I, I guess I'm interested in how Christianity, as a religion, you know, where that where that concept comes from in Christianity, right? Because Buddhism is interesting. I think Buddhism Buddhism takes that position, but takes it quite clearly within the theology, right? So okay. you have dependent origination, which is you know everything is dependent on everything else. Every action is a reaction to something else. Um, but you also have karma, right? You also have, or well, you're responsible yeah, yeah. for all the things you've done, um, and it it holds that you know quite quite neatly in itself. It holds that yes, everything is dependent on something else. That every emotion you feel will lead to a kind of a physical sensation, which will lead you to do something, and blah blah blah. But also says, yeah, you know, as a karmic being as someone who is engaged in samsara you have karma you're responsible for the things you did you have to in effect at some point in your many existences deal with the consequences of of your actions right even though it also holds that your actions were not actually so but how does it square that how, how does it square that circle then right because you're responsible for your own karma 
but on the but on the other reading, you can't actually do anything about your own karma, or can you? And, and like, again, and and maybe this is where it gets to that distinction, where Buddhism, the way Buddhism sees dependent origination and determinism, is not so much that you always must do all the things, but it's that you can break the cycle, right? Like there, there is an element of free will that exists in that, like, you know, to use the meditation kind of traditional dependent origination example, it's like, you know, I have a physical sensation in my body and that leads me to feel sad and that leads me to cry and that crying leads me to eat a pint of ice cream, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, it's like if you recognize that, so and those things are all dependent and they will all link in with each other. But if you recognize that, you ha have the ability to cut that off at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, you if you recognize before you want to go and eat a pint of ice cream, hold on, actually, I'm doing this because I've just yeah, cried. Yeah, you can short sad. circuit the, or, the or process. Or even before you cry, you go, oh, I'm, I'm feeling like crying because I've done, yeah, you, you, yeah. you where you are at on your ability to read that process becomes really useful to be able to intervene. And so maybe there is an assumption of free will in Buddhism, which doesn't say you can just go and do whatever you want and you're, the world is your oyster and make whatever choices, but does say you have a level of volition to intervene on the process of determinism as it goes on. Yeah, right. I get that. This, cause it, this is really interesting because it, it's helping me understand one of the key critiques that I have of Buddhism, which is that it, it still strikes me even after all our conversations that like the, it, it's on you. You've, mm -hmm. you've got to fix the, you know, whatever hand the world has dealt you. Um, and, and you've, you've got to take responsibility for, for short circuiting that cycle, which, which is not on the whole an unreasonable position to take, but the, the reason that it jars at me is because Christianity takes kind of the opposite mm. position, which is to say that um, if, if we're always serving something and in bondage to something and that's what's motivating and driving our actions in the world, like it turns out that we're really, really good at ignoring God. Mm. Um, which is fundamentally where our problems in life spring from. Right, we we don't listen to what God says is good or bad. We don't trust God. We you know all, all of that stuff, and so then the the but the onus to fix that falls back on God, um, because we're <laughs> because we are in bondage and cannot free ourselves. That's actually like that's in the words of confession in the Lutheran Church. If you go to a real like old school. Lutheran Church that still uses the old hymnal and everything else, they'll, um, there'll be words said every Sunday of, um, we confess that we are born in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. And so it has a lower view of human ability than the Buddhist view that you just articulated, I think, which is that, well, actually, we need God to reach in and pull us out of wherever we're at. And, yeah. and even when God does that, we're really good at ignoring it. And at least from a Christian perspective, like that's the story of the history of Israel, let alone then getting to Jesus. Yeah. And I, I, I want to caveat, I, well, I've done this before, but I do want to caveat again here <laughs> that like 
I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure that what I'm articulating is the full Buddhist view. Like I, I was once given a book by someone at a monastery on dependent origination, and I was handed the book, and they was they said to me, they said, if you can read and completely understand this book, you're almost enlightened already. Right, well, and, and, and dependent origination is one of the most complex of the Buddhist theological concepts, right? It's 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 a it's it's almost like the last one that you actually <laughs> tackle because it's it's just because you die. There's afterwards. so many layers, and it's complex. So yeah, I I'm talking about what I understand it to be, um, and I'm aware that that and, might not be actually what it is at all. And look, we're 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 in the same boat because I've read bits and pieces of the bondage of the will i've read commentary on the bondage of the will i've not read the full thing cover to cover because it like it's complex 17th century academic argument like cool 16th century whatever um but but also this is like the, this question of do we have free will it seems like is a, a fundamental disagreement within christianity um, and Luther's on one side of it, and there's a bunch of other people on another side that are like, "Well, no, it's you, it's kind of your own fault, and you've got to fix it." Mm-hmm. And then it's it's nice that God fixes it for you, but you should be able to fix it. Is kind of the whereas Luther goes, "Well, you can't fix it. Do, do you know you're you, stuck with with where you are." Yeah. Do you know what you spurred in me actually just before? Um, which is a moment I haven't honestly I haven't had for ten years. Which is I, I think I've told you as part of my um, coming to Buddhism story how I studied philosophy and kept coming across instances where I believed something philosophically and then later on found out the Buddhist opinion was like yeah. that. I think I had never quite done the one-to-one comparison of my views on free will and and, and Buddhism. Oh, brilliant. And, you know, I think at the time, like, it was literally during this podcast I had that moment. Like, I think I started this podcast talking about a kind of soft determinism that I believed in. That legitimately was not based on my Buddhist view. That was based on my philosophical views. Like the, just your observation of the world, as it were. Yeah, and, and yeah, having studied a bit of Free will, free will philosophy. Yeah. Um, and when you asked me to articulate the Buddhist view of it in that way and the, the connection with karma and dependent origination, that was the moment that I went, oh, hold on, actually the Buddhist view happens to just <laughs> completely align with my view anyway. So I had another one of those, which means I'm still probably a Buddhist. <laughs> ah, my work here has been in vain. No. Yeah, I know, right? Because well, it's, it's interesting because, like, so I don't know what your take on kind of how I've, probably rather poorly described the Luther's understanding of free will at least like, but I, I like, I'm not a huge fan of it. Like I, th- I think it's, I think it's right in that. I think it has really good explanatory power, but I don't like it because I've, I want to be in control of my own decisions. And, and in fact, this is one of like the major Lutheran moments of, railing against the rest of Christianity is this thing called decision theology, right? Mm. Which is this idea that you have to you have to make a decision that you're going to follow Jesus and you have to let God into your heart and you have to choose that. And and Lutheran theology consistently always goes, no, that's rubbish. God chooses you. Mm. And then you can respond to that or not, but you don't have any agency in this. You could not choose God unless God had first chosen you. Yeah, and I think this is one of the things that I think this article goes into quite in depth, which is how uncomfortable mm. this argument against free will is, right? So because we really want to have it, yeah. Right? Like, and so the yeah. premise, the premise of the article, which I know we haven't talked too much about, <laughs> but the premise of the article, yeah, essentially makes the point that the argument against free will is pretty rock solid, right? That that 
philosophers in general are pretty unified in the fact that there is no free will. However, it's actually, the article goes into talking about, well, how do you actually communicate that? And like, that's a really uncomfortable argument that everyone hates and honestly makes people depressed. And like, you know, we were discussing before this podcast whether or not we should put a warning at the top of this episode about, hey, this conversation might give you some existential dread and some crises. And like the article talks a lot about mm. people who um, who develop existential dread based on the fact that um, that they suddenly realize that there is no free will and like that it's it's almost inherent to being a human that you kind of have a presumption of free will. And, you know, um, yeah, I, I think it, it's interesting how, how do you resolve that and how you work with that. But like, you know, the philosophers in this article, you know, often say, you know, yeah, like they, they don't talk about it publicly. They don't kind of mm. bring it up, whatever else, because it's just, it's too hard. Well, in the case against free will, like with the, the argument of, is there a difference between somebody doing something under hypnosis or not? Helen Beebe, a philosopher at the University of Manchester says that if you're arguing there's no difference, that's just really annoying. Mm. <laughs> so, quote, and and well, see, maybe this is maybe I'm reconciling myself to the, the Lutheran view on free will here because the the ad, the advantage of this is that it's it's God who actually frees you, mm. like you you're you're not free and you don't have free action because you're in bondage to all of these things until God frees you, mm. and then you can kind of, you, then you can do what you want in the fullest sense of the word, which is on the one hand, you can reject God and go, no, I don't want this. I'm going to go back to serving the man or the capitalist system or whatever. Or you can do what you want. And just to riff off Augustine, um, Augustine has this great quote where he says um, that the, the essence of, of good life is love God and do what you want. Because when you love God, what you want is going to be in line with who God is. And you're not going to feel, you're not going to feel like you're forced to do it. Yeah. So and, you, you're and, truly free, but yeah. And, and, and I will say Buddhism does take that one as well. Right. And they, they talk about, you know, is it possible for a, um for an enlightened being to develop bad karma? And say, so, well, no, like, you know, even an enlightened being cannot develop bad karma because, inherently all of their actions and everything they're going to be drawn towards are just going to be good things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting line in this about, um, and I, I thought about it when you were talking before about, you know, God taking control of you and whatever else and, and, and God choosing for you. Yeah. Um, around like, what do you do in cases of really big bad action? Right. So, you know, the article talks about a mass murderer and it's like, if there's no free will and if God is truly choosing for you, well, if God is choosing for the person who committed a mass shooting, then, you know, what, so, what's so, there? Yeah, yeah. So when I say that God is is choosing you, right, I, I'm not saying God is choosing for you. I'm not saying that God is making your decisions hmm. for you. And this is where kind of we come back to this question of responsibility, right? Because um, God, is, God is not forcing you to do anything um and so if how do i put this so god chooses you in the sense that god says like 
yep, you're you're cool with me. You're one of you know you're one of my people. You're welcome into the kingdom and the new life and salvation and all the rest of it. You can like you can reject that if you want to, but you can't choose to come into God's realm. God has to let you in, as it were. But that doesn't mean that God is making all of your choices for you. It just means that um, in 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 any of our relationships with God, God has to be the one making the first move. Could because, God change that decision? Um, theoretically, God could. Um, the the witness of Scripture and the work of Jesus is that God doesn't. Um, but the, but there is this. So does that mean that someone who is who is led into God's kingdom then can no longer commit a bad act? No, not at all. The the thing is that someone who is led into God's kingdom is free to leave because that's what freedom actually is. But the problem is that as soon as you leave, then you're back under bondage to the other things. And sure. all of us live, from, from a Christian perspective, we live under that tension all the time that we're never perfectly in because we're constantly turning away. And this is why there's the parables of Jesus of like the, the shepherd that leaves the sheep to go find the one sheep that's wandered off and then brings it home and there's much rejoicing, right? And then the, what happens when the sheep run, wanders away again, right? Like, does the shepherd just go, oh, no, whatever. Mm. Um, and, and and this is the thing, right? Like, if, if God gives us freedom, and that includes the freedom to say no to what God's offering, but then we just wind up back in bondage to other things, which is actually not freedom at all. Like, that, that freedom has boundaries. And I think that's something that we miss in contemporary Western discussions of freedom. Because we think that freedom and free will means that we should have the ability to do anything that we want. And and it doesn't. And we, we understand this in some cases where you go, well, like, you're free to do whatever it, what you want as long as it doesn't hurt another person, for instance. And then we define that however we like. But, like, you know, you're, you're, free, you're free to do anything in response to God's saying, yep, you're one of my people and I love you and I think you're awesome. But you can say, well, I don't actually believe that you exist, Mr. God. Thank you for your kind offer. But then as soon as you do that, you become not free again. So like it's a kind of trusting God is almost a boundary to freedom in this sense in that you're able to cross it, but then once you cross it, you're not free anymore. Right. So it's interesting, right? So to me, that sounds like then you believe both in free will and also not in free will. Well, the the, the classic way I've heard it described is in free won't. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, it's, it's, it's like almost you could say in this sense, actually, that like free will is the gift of God. Or, or the lack of the gift of God, right? Like free, free will is choosing to not take the gift of God. Yeah. yeah, but then, but then, as soon as you choose that, you're not actually free. Yeah, but but but, but that, yeah. that, that's my point, right? That like the the gift of God is the giving up of your free will. So free will is not the gift of God. Free will is the thing that takes the well, the gift of God is the thing that takes free will away. Okay, you've lost me. Okay, so 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 you said free will is the gift of God, right? But you sure. you just articulated, as far as I understood it, um, essentially a way of interacting with the world where you have free will, mm-hmm. but you are kind of tied to these ungodly kind of within things. within boundaries. Oh, sorry. Right. 
but you don't actually have free will. Sure. Okay. In that sense. You you might have made a free choice. Right. But your will is not now free because you're being impacted by all of this other stuff, like all of these other messages of advertising sure. and whatever. Say. And but yeah. you but but you have free will to switch over and choose to be impacted by God. And it, but once that happens, you also don't have free will because God is influencing you and impacting you in all that kind of way. Well, no, you, you have you have free will. It's just that there there are limitations to freedom, right? Like so, if if I could put it this way, like if you if you know that God loves you and you matter inherently because of who you are, then you don't need the shiny whatever to feel like your life is worthwhile and valuable. And so you're freed from feeling like you need to have the stuff that the advertising is telling you that you need to have, right? So maybe it sounds to me like what you're saying is that we only ever have free will for one decision, which is which things we let influence us, whether that's God or something else. Yeah, perhaps that's one way. That, perhaps that, that's one that, way you to know, put it. You, you don't have free choices of your day-to-day decisions, but you do have free will as to which major in what is the thing that is going to be the thing that influences your decisions i'd I'd put it the other way around actually and say that you you do have free will when it comes to your day-to-day decisions but the the question is well like or or some freedom of choice right like Mm. do do you want the red car or the blue car well it doesn't matter the thing is that you want the car and that's what's that's the part that's kind of not free if I could put it that way, but, I mean, but like, do you really not think the red car or the blue car choice is free? I mean, like, no, I'm saying the red car or the blue car choice. I'm, I'm saying that's free. Why? So yeah, that, that, that's what I meant. But like, like, what makes you think that's free? But what does it matter whether the car's red or blue? I, I, I don't think it matters. But I don't think I don't think that means that I don't think something being irrelevant means that the choice is free. <laughs> so maybe there's different influences, and we want the red car because it goes faster. Well, it, it, or exactly. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. my point. Yeah, okay, sure. If you're getting influenced to buy the car in the first place, you're getting influences to what color car to buy. Yeah. Okay. I'll go. I'll, I'll run with that. Yep, yeah. Yeah. I so, stand corrected. Yeah. So, yep. so 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 I guess that's my thing, right? So like, and yeah, and you also have the choice to follow God and not need the car. Um, or at least just be fine with whatever color car, um, right? So, so realistically, you're saying there is there is only ever one choice to make, which is who and what do you follow, and or, or who and what do you allow to influence and determine what the rest of your choices are going to be. Sure, yeah, that's yeah. that's very David Foster of, of you, but yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's, there's a reason I like the guy. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I mean, and, and that makes sense, right? Um, and I think, yeah, I think maybe Buddhism has a slightly different concept in that it says you're always going to get influenced by things and your choice is not so much what things influence you, that that is actually just set, but your choice exists in essentially when when you're aware of that influence happening, do you choose to respond and react to that influence? Where, where Christianity might say when you're aware of that influence happening, is that, is that a moment for repentance and for turning towards God and, mm. and not necessarily kind of resisting the influence per se, but actually being reoriented in what influences you? Yeah. Because, um, again, I, like it's maybe it's a linguistic hang-up, but I would say that it's it's God who frees us, not our choice to follow God. Our, our choice to follow God is only ever conditional on God's having already freed us because we couldn't, we, we, would, we wouldn't make that choice 
left to our own devices. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, if if you, dear listeners, can make one choice, please make that choice sending this podcast to a friend and oh, telling absolutely. them about it, getting them to search Christian Buddhist Bar on any of your podcast apps. Who's the guy who does our music? Um, Kevin, Kevin McLeod. McLeod. He makes the choice to make wonderful royalty-free music, and we love you for that, Kev. He does. Uh, and we can be found at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. Please don't send us death threats. Please only send us nice articles to read. If you do, I'm sending them to Jamal. If, if you do, I'm sending them to the police. <laughs> <laughs>